Okay, so three, two, two one, one, two, three. There we go. Bitch, bash, bosh. Fucking boom. <laughs> you guys are making a podcast. For this. Welcome to the podcast nobody asked for. With me, Ian Harries. Me, Graham Jones. And this week we're going prequel and we are talking about villain origin stories we would watch. A topic idea brought to us by my incredible and long-suffering partner Alex, who you may recognise as the person who points out that nobody asked for this. Yep. Um, very topical. Very topical. Uh, I'm I'm assuming we will come to that we'll later. We'll get to that. Yep. It's not it's not like us to hop on hashtags or anything like that. It's <laughs> it's good to know. So it's an interesting one. Obviously, we've covered. <laughs> not that I want to bring it up again, but we have covered villains previously, <laughs> where we talked about villains who may have had a point. And some that didn't. The episode that still holds the title for our longest section, <laughs> thanks to Graham and I just shouting at each other for half an hour. But we're over that now, so we thought we would give villains another go. Yeah, that, that was that's that's the closest we've come to, to, to blows, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was, it, it was intriguing. <laughs> but before we dive into the top three lists and the real villainous meaty section of the podcast i love a meaty villain like kingpin kingpin's a meaty villain isn't he King, kingpin um evil bacon there's nothing there's what? nothing worse than there's nothing worse than evil bacon i was i was hoping that i could then have made a joke about a film oh uh first class x-men first class is evil bacon in evil kevin bacon evil kevin bacon I was hoping i could have come up with that quicker and it just would have seemed seamless i came up with a punchline before i came up with the setup which is often often the way we do things. But yep. there, there were a couple of things I wanted to kind of for us to discuss in the intro. Go on. It's an interesting topic to cover, I think, kind of villain origin stories, because it has definitely become... We've always had them, but it definitely seems to become a lot more relevant, people trying to make every villain, like, sympathetic and understandable. And I, I am a big fan of, like... It can be done badly, but sometimes like a good two-dimensional villain is exactly what a film needs. Yeah, I get what you mean. So literally, like <clears throat> they're the bad guy because they're the bad guy, and the good guy needs to be. Yeah, or like I don't. So I, I, I've made, I've got a list of kind of some villain origin movies that kept popping up because whenever I thought, oh, this would be a good idea, I realised a film had already been made. It's really prevalent in, like, I don't need to know why. Michael Myers in Halloween is a killer. Like the whole the whole point was that he was just this unstoppable killing machine. I didn't need to know the whole because Rob Zombie went really deep into it in the Halloween films, and like it was like trying to make you feel bad for him. It's like I don't need to feel bad for him. It, it's a successful and scary film without having a sit down. So his parents were mean to him. Conversation. Yeah, I get what you mean because there are certain elements with villains that you just want to like. The the minute you try and make them a <clears throat> someone you can be sympathetic towards, it's kind of it kind can defeat the object somewhat. And I don't know if you've watched you on Netflix. Yes, I massively struggled with you, the 
the show, not you, not you, Ian. Did I did did I ever tell you I once? Where's this going? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of questionable things that happen in that. Mo- in that no, no, no. <laughs> slight slight tangent, okay. just with the mix up you tried to avoid there. I once went out, so uh, they were like friends of a friend, but it was the first time we'd kind of hung out, just the three of us, and we were in like McDonald's or something, um, and we were really getting on and. A popular Irish rock band came onto the radio. And without thinking, I said, God, I hate you two. <laughs> and they both stared at me like, what have we done? And it took me slightly too long to realise what I'd said. Nice. And you're like, no, 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 not you two. Bono and the No, edge. no, no, no. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Not you two, <laughs> you two. Like Bono and Edge. The edge. It's the edge, isn't the it? Edge. Edges are, edge edge is is a wrestler. wrestler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Different different Irish band entirely. <laughs> but yes, you. You people love like yeah. People do really love it, but I found it really like I I they try and make him somewhat sympathetic and I just I found him absolutely abhorrent and couldn't get on board with enjoying the series at all. A lot of people have said it's the second season is better, but I yeah. I watched the entirety of the first one and it was just like, I get what you're trying to do, but also this guy's a, like a rapist and a murderer and a stalker and I don't really want to feel anything for him. Yeah, so I, I did enjoy it. What I didn't enjoy was like, so you know the actor came like, not released a statement, but thanks to social media. No, it's not like he had a fucking press conference or something. But he basically said like, guys, you know you're not supposed to be rooting for it. Yeah. Because there are so many fans who are, like, trying to excuse it. And he's like, no, no, that's not the point of the show. We're not trying to excuse it. It is you are seeing the world through the eyes of a... You're a, you're a psychology graduate, sociopath, psychopath? I'd say psychopath, yeah. Psychopath. Yeah. Uh, through the eyes of a cunt. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, Dexter, Dexter kind of fell... Dexter walked the line quite well, at least initially. And then lost its way a bit, but like there, there, there are some, there are some films which do the two-dimensional villain very well. You don't need to have them padded out. So, like I said, it's usually a lot of, again, like your your Michael Myers horror stuff, yeah. action films. Like I don't give a shit about Bennett in Commando's backstory. All I care is that his chainmail vest was slightly too tight for him, and that's great. <laughs> but then you have. The bad side of the coin, where you have things like the Dark Elves in Thor 2. Ian, they just wanted it to be dark. Then. Yeah, it's, it's, I think I've talked about it before, <laughs> but I, I'd love to have just like a conversation between, you know, like Thor and Odin and fucking Christopher Eccleston in heavy makeup. Just just like, oh, so why are you doing this, Malika? It's like, well, we're Dark Elves. Just just want to make things dark. It's like, okay, cool, cool. But, but why? What do you benefit from it? It's like, dark Elves. We're just dark elves. That's 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 how we roll. Yeah, I went through a couple of kind of origin stories that are out there to kind of you know yeah get the creative podcast juices flowing. Obviously, we have Joker. Yep. So Joker, I think, did it very well. Joker's the gold standard of this, right? Which is surprising because I hated the idea when it was announced. I I I would I would have put. Well, I guess um Heath Ledger's Joker. I would put up there with you don't need an origin story of him. Everything you need to know about him is like encapsulated in the film. Yeah. Like it's not that he's 
two-dimensional but you don't need to know the point is you don't know where he's come from he's just there yeah yeah but joker did it very well have you seen uh maleficent i haven't no maleficent is like surprisingly fucked up quasi-genocide-y fucked up fair quasi-genocide sounds like a a good like death metal band yeah they'll be like the sub headliner or they'll be the kind of band where you can't read the font yeah yeah. it it looks like someone's throwing a load of sticks on the ground uh hannibal rising was pointless prometheus because we need we needed to know the origin of the aliens prometheus was oversold as well i think or missold at least a hundred i think yeah a hundred percent then you had there are tv series so you had bates motel yeah ratchet which i haven't watched yeah that's fairly new sarah paulson yeah who's fucking incredible which is great the scorpion king (laughs) which do you know do you know how many scorpion king films there are i'm gonna guess more than one (laughs) five really (laughs) there are five score so my notes for this literally say the scorpion king brackets five fucking films (laughs) i i knew there was a sequel I didn't know there was a trilogy, let alone five. So there's the same amount of... Is that the same amount or more Scorpion... Oh, no. American Pie films, if you take the straight DVD ones, there's more American Pie films than Scorpion King films. So, yeah. So, uh, so, so main continuity. Yeah. American Pie. Talking like this fucking, like, time travel. But, yeah, the, the, the main series, there's four? Four, yeah. Yeah, so there's more Scorpion Kings than... I'd watch a buddy teen comedy, like gross-out comedy with the Scorpion King. <laughs> there's not enough like ancient Egypt comedy out there. No, there's the Ro- uh, the plebs, the TV series, which is obviously Romans, not ancient Egypt, but that's pretty good. Oh, yeah, I forgot that was a thing. The Star Wars prequels are a great example of things that you didn't necessarily need to pad out with an origin story. Yeah, it's... It goes back to what I was saying on the last episode, right? It's it's one of those things that if there's a story, if there's a genuine story to be told, then let's tell it. But if it's a oh, this movie was really successful, how are we going to make something else off, make more money off of it? We throw in an origin story, then yeah, it's it feels a little bit cheap. Yeah, and then obviously my my favorite villain origin story, the Calvin and Hobbes comics okay elaborate well have you heard the fan theory about uh so calvin obviously little psychopath his imaginary friend hobbs when he's older he obviously can't imagine a tiger anymore to help him out of stuff maybe maybe he imagines a brad pitt type character maybe maybe they start fighting like they used to do and then <laughs> carries on yes yeah, so there is a an amazing fan theory that calvin hobbs is a prequel to fight club Nice. So, I have a question for you, Ian. You are the big bad villain in the next Bond movie. I, sh- I wish I'd been told. <laughs> Where are you? Where- where's your villain hideout? Oh, God. I'm, I call me a traditionalist. Hollowed out volcano. Nice. I, I'm a bit, I am a, a big fan of hollowed, hollowed out volcano. We've been. However, you did say that you would never build a house near a volcano on our. Oh shit, we've not released that episode yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Just in case I decide to keep that future reference in. Um, because we're, yeah, you know, time is a construct, bro. We're, like, we're, not a, we're Nolaning this. It's not a straight line, man. It's, 
It's like a vinyl record and the grooves are always there. <laughs> I, I never said I'd build a house near or on a volcano. In. <laughs> yeah, no, no, true. Maybe, maybe uh, old missile silo? Maybe? Yeah. Some kind of fancy bunker? Like, um, like winter soldiery? Yeah, a bit winter soldiery. So, yeah, maybe a hollowed out mountain instead of uh, a volcano. But I, I feel like I feel like to go full villain, you need the, the volcano aesthetic. Or a Zeppelin. Nice. Yeah, I can, I can see you on a Zeppelin. Yeah. Did, talking, talking of like unexplained things in movies, did you see the, I think there was a Comic-Con press conference where this little kid asked, I forget the guy who plays Bucky Barnes, but he asked Bucky at Comic-Con how, he, um, how his character would have survived falling from the train. And he was just like, because uh, <laughs> he did <laughs> magic yeah what about you then where would your your villainous hideout be i think i'd like to take over like a um like a sports stadium or something i think like we're going um i don't know like madison square garden just like in the hub of everything big space you know convenient um links to people obviously you'd need good fortifications if you're you know, taking it over because it, it's not the kind of you can't take over Madison Square Garden like and you know covertly. Yeah, I, I mean, and kind of what you'd have for you there as well is the resale value, yeah. and I I don't think resale value is factored enough into the whole evil lair thing. It's hard to find a buyer for a for a hollowed out volcano. Yeah, because they're so bespoke to each individual evil organization. Yeah, and then obviously the. Uh, insurance everything like that the union don't pay that out like they used to okay no insurance is a bitch man yeah i feel like we have uh successfully beaten around the bush enough now yep my bush is beaten so (laughs) (laughs) what uh i i i wonder what your movie recommendation nobody asked for this week might be my movie recommendation nobody asked for this week yeah is obviously extremely topical actually the suggestion of it we were talking about this the other day and your lovely girlfriend suggested the uh topic for the episode based off of this movie um so it just makes sense that we should use this as our movie recommendation. it does it does um and that is disney's cruella which obviously has hit cinemas it's in. We can go to cinemas and watch films, Ian. Ah, uh, I've, I've missed it so much. Yeah, this is actually. Yeah, so I went um, and saw this at the cinema a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if there was. There's probably an element to it that was. I'm in a cinema again, and this is amazing. But I did really enjoy it. I didn't have my hopes weren't the highest because it's. It feels like you know, we're talking about being sympathetic to villains, you know. Cruella just wants to skin dogs and to, to make that sympathetic is maybe not the easiest thing to do. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird hill to die on, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, by all accounts, it was a really well done film. It was fun. Emma Stone is fantastic. Emma Thompson is probably even better. Like, she plays the role so well. Just a just a really, really good, fun Disney movie and ties in nicely to the live action 101 Dalmatians and I, I I really enjoyed it. I would I would recommend it if you if you want to get back to the cinema. You know, there's there's a few things out there. Obviously, Quiet Place Two is there as well. But yeah, I'd highly recommend giving Cruella a watch because it was it was a lot of fun. Very nice. And if if you are, I'm going to take you to fucking Cruella if you don't stop in a minute. All right, guys, <laughs> calm down. Podcast host caught threatening to skin dog. <laughs> He's such a weird fucking animal. 
So if you if you do if you like dogs too much yeah. to want to humanize a dog murderer, what else would you would you recommend people? Um, I would recommend a film that needs no origin. It needs no introduction because it is two and a half hours of pure fucking brilliance, and that is Ari Aster's Midsummer. Midsummer is the type of film. I, mean, I think we've spoken about them a few times. That is so well self-contained that it it doesn't ever need a sequel. It doesn't need a prequel. It is perfect the way it is. Uh, <laughs> it's perfect the way it is. And yeah, you you need to get out there. You need to watch it. You need to watch Midsummer. You need to watch the Midsummer director's cut. You need to listen to the soundtrack. Uh, you need to go buy some Midsummer stickers from. Um, Oh hi, Mark stickers on Etsy because they're awesome and they deserve a shout out. And yeah, just 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 enjoy Midsummer because it's great. Are you laughing at the noises from the dog? What the fuck is he doing? I don't know. Okay, right. So onwards, I believe. I believe it is your first choice. Usually, I I like to draw out the intro to this as long as I can without revealing what my choice is. But as soon as I say we're off to Mega City 1, that narrows down the film choices to two. And we are going for Madeline Madrigal. That makes a lot of sense. Better known as Mama, the villain in 2012's Dread, played by the incredible Lena Headey. So Mama is... A psychotic former prostitute turned drug lord who has a trademark for excessive violence, which is everything that you need from a villain, I think. She is the leader of a criminal gang called Mama's Clan, who rule peach trees and is the personal, the, sorry, the, they are the people responsible for the distribution of slow mo, which is an incredible sounding sci fi drug. That basically slows your perception of time down because sci-fi shit. And Peachtrees isn't as fancy spa as it sounds. So Mega City One is uh, basically a huge 400 million population city that runs down the east coast of America. The majority of America outside of that is radiation and uh, desolate. So everyone lives in uh, kind of these mega cities. In the mega cities, you have mega blocks, and peach trees is one of those. And it is basically a self-contained city in a tower block. So seventy-five thousand people live in this building. It's classed as a slum. Unemployment there is ninety-six percent, and it has the highest crime rate in Sector Thirteen because that's the kind of language we talk about when we're talking about Judge Dredd. The reason Mama would make for an incredible origin film is because we hear very briefly in Dread what her origin is, and they basically talk through the plot of what the film would be. So Mama was, <laughs> again, it's so fucking stupid. Uh, she is the uh, an ex-hooker from the Sector 9 Pleasure District. <laughs> sci-fi she got beaten up and cut up by her pimp so she bit his cock off and took over his uh kind of criminal business empire 
this was all in peach trees peach trees originally had three other gangs in it uh so you had the peyote kings nice. the red dragons and the judged and marmar arrives takes over the top four of the block which is floor 200 and then she moves down the block killing off these gangs and taking things over until it is just the marmar clan so it's basically dread and the raid in reverse so it's how they took everything over. Yep. So we, we've mentioned Dread before. So the plot of Dread is there's so much crime happening in Mega City 1. The majority of it can't be dealt with. They pick a random case. It just so happens to be here. And they come across this big gang running drugs throughout the city. And they get ambushed and have to work their way up the block to take out Marmar and her cronies. I keep thinking every time you say Marmar, I'm expecting you to... To break into Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> will will you do the Fandango? But yeah, it just works. Another kind of so obviously that that is the plot to a film. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to sympathise with her. You can, but it's not going to. You know, obviously she's gone through these horrible things, but she's still an ultra violent, incredible villain, and that's what you're seeing. You're you're just seeing this empire growing. It adds context to the story, and most importantly for me. It gives us another film set in the whole 2000 AD Judge Dredd world. Because the Judge Dredd comics and 2000 AD have been going on for fucking decades. And we don't have a lot to show for it in terms of cinema. Um, Part of that is because of Sylvester fucking Stallone. So his horrible Judge Dredd movie, I think, ruined the perception of a lot of people to the character. Because they don't think of a ultra satirical dark comedy comic anymore they think of sylvester fucking stallone and ian dury did you know ian dury's in that film i didn't know yeah he's like a pawnbroker or something like that yeah it it, it for for something like judge dread it, it you don't want like a, a caricature of a action star to be playing them for yeah it, it shouldn't be similar to how you've said about like the rock being a genre like Arnie and Sylvester are kind of a genre in and of themselves as well, right? Yeah, to to to, I mean, definitely, definitely that nineties era Stallone. Yeah, like definitely, and also like the whole the whole point of Judge Dredd is he doesn't take his fucking helmet off. Yeah, yeah. and obviously Stallone, being Stallone, immediately took it off. Carl Urban, though, being the stand-up guy he is, kept his helmet on the entire film. Yeah. Because, obviously, Judge Dredd is a Mandalorian. Exactly. The the material you could draw from, from like an expanded Judge Dredd universe, which you, you could possibly throw in, you know, tidbits into this origin story, but not necessarily have to. So you have the fatties. So being a dystopian future, you have a lot of people who just decided to eat their pain away. Uh, you had Big Lord Ringer, who was the world's first one-ton man. Um, and they have... Like stabilizer wheels they put underneath their stomachs to help them move around. And obviously it's just like a grotesque caricature of kind of gluttony and things like that, but they're fucking bizarre. You had Judge Death. So he is a... I love talking about 2000 ID. (laughs) Uh, Judge Death was a judge who was made undead by dead fluids given to him by the Sisters of Death. And he goes on to view life as a crime. For which the sentence is death. I mean, technically true. (laughs) I guess. Uh, You have PJ Maybe, who is a prolific serial killer who started killing people at the age of 12 and impersonates his victims 
once he's killed them, by impersonating someone he went on to become mayor for a short period. You also have the Angel Gang, who did appear in the Stallone movie, I believe, and they have a guy called Mean Machine Angel, who has like cybernetic implants and a dial on his head that controls the power of his headbutts. <laughs> I was assuming it was just a crossover with the, the Vinnie Jones movie. Um, and if we do want to get someone in, like, say, I don't know, your, your Jared Butler types, you also have the Calhab judges, who aren't from Mega City One, they're from Scotland, and they wear kilts. And Lovely. they also have, like, weaponized bagpipes. So, bagpipes. I'm, uh, yeah. The more and more you say it and talk about it, like, it's, it's such a shame that we've not had more. Like, Dread is so good. It is incredible. And... There's definitely a way to do this without it just being more of the same. Like, I, I know I, I say I joked, I know it is literally going from floor 200 down to one, which is the opposite of what Stred is. But it doesn't have to be, because there's, there's nothing worse for me in a prequel or a sequel where they, I'm trying to think of a good example, where Austin they, Powers. Where they hang over it. Yeah, or um, uh, Mummy Returns. Mummy Returns is a great example of it. So in the first film, she knocks over bookcases and they like domino and it's all hilarious. In Mummy Returns 2, they do exactly the same thing, but with something else. Yeah. And it's like, you don't have to do the same beats and stuff in I think, the film. I, I feel like The Hangover is the perfect... Like, I've, I've, the Hangover sequels feel like they could be The Hangover just in a different sort of sequence yeah pretty much but you, you there, there are ways to do this where it would be i think quite exciting the way i view it is because you do have all of these kind of other gangs is it would be closer to like the warriors yeah so you would really kind of focus on that aspect of it of kind of these showdowns between kind of multiple gangs the the fight scenes of course are going to be fucking insane and then when that inevitably becomes successful, we can then roll out the wider Dreadverse. I'm, I'm quite surprised that it's taken... As, I think this is a first mention of the Warriors on this podcast. And Yeah, I think it is, you know. It, it feels like that should have happened sooner. Yeah, the Warriors is great. I was contemplating it for today's episode. Yeah. It, it's, you, you know it was written as a, a response to West Side Story. <laughs> I didn't know that. No. The writer of the Warriors worked with like inner city gangs yeah and he watched west side story and said oh this isn't what it's really like so wrote the warriors because that's what it is really like yeah yeah i i wouldn't i don't know a lot about you know the 1970s gang culture in new york uh, i'm assuming it isn't a fair reflection <laughs> i would i would anticipate that on one end of the gang spectrum you have dancing clicky gang members the other end of the gang spectrum you've got the warriors and the reality is probably somewhere in the middle yeah i mean or i i think we it, it's more kind of like one of those triangle diagrams and then the other point is fucking mama and dread yeah <laughs> um, but yeah you, you know who is doing a 2000 ad movie no enlighten me duncan jones oh so duncan jones is doing um a character called rogue trooper okay which is a 2000 ad character i don't think a lot has been he was announced back in like 2018 i don't think a lot has been hugely said about it since but he he will regularly kind of throw tweets and stuff out there 
that had. that could be interesting, but then also it could be Warcraft. So yeah, but it could be Moon. I I think it's closer to I think it's closer to what he does well. Just yeah. from sheer sort because Moon easily could be a 2000 AD story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's that. just a a bit weird and overly sci-fi. But yeah, that I mean, so that that's my my first choice is we're diving back into Mega City One. We're watching Mama ruthlessly overthrow peach trees. Uh, and I mean, it, it's also got the perfect... The end of the film is obviously going to be them throwing these people off a balcony, which sets up the beginning of Dread. Like so, it. So, boom. Uh, in terms of casting, we just get Lena Headley back. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, don't think you, I don't think you need to well, Irishman it or anything like that. I'm not sure who else would throw in it. I'm just trying to think of people I've wanted to crowbar into the episode for a while. Uh, Ricky Whittle. Let's get Ricky Whittle in, shall we? I... Off of off of American Gods, like yeah, and why not? Don, Donald Gleason as well. Ah, you can't. Why not? He was in Dread. Where where was he in Dread? Well, because it's a film, Graham. So of course he's in it. <laughs> um, he's the she. Um, well, I guess he could be in it. Um, but oh uh, shit! Replace his eyes. He looks. He looks so battered that I didn't recognise him. Yeah. So if, if Donald Gleason's can't be in it, we would need either Bill Nye or who else is in everything? Um, Riz Ahmed was for a little while. Oh, he'd be good in it. Yeah. I had a lot of time for Riz Ahmed. Yeah. But I think actually Will Gleason's character should be in it still because I'd like to know a bit more about that as well. Yeah, no, good point. It can't be called Mama though because there's already a shitty horror film called Mama. I mean, there's lots of films that have got the same titles. I think you'd be true. Right. I call it Peach Trees. Lovely. So, Graham, what's what's your first choice? My first choice, Ian, is the Snake Charmer himself. Well, I I don't like that you've uh, revealed my nickname to people, but uh, <laughs> oh, it's my wrestling it's my wrestling gimmick, the the Snake Charmer. I'm in, I'm intrigued by your origin story now. It was a cold <laughs> Thursday morning. Not 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 the best weather for snakes, to be fair. Ah, see, that's they lull you into a soft sense of surprise. <laughs> Do you want to try that again? They... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't. So false I... <laughs> sense of surprise is adding to what we would like. If there is anybody out there who wants to collate the hundreds of band names we've randomly decided to come up with during the progress of this podcast uh just keep a note of them yeah please do false sense false sense of surprise with a hit song snake charmer anyway so the snake charmer i'm of course referring to is bill from the kill bill series one and two um he doesn't have a surname i looked but yeah obviously does does he have a first name like is bill his second name do you think that's the problem maybe just look you were just looking in the wrong place like maybe his name is kill bill I think I think it's an it's another Prince scenario. Oh. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Or volume. His name is Bill Volume. <laughs> Bill which Volume. Is, which is why it's Kill Bill Volume One. And Kill Bill Volume Two. Yeah. Yep. Well, that was a funny joke. Anyway. Well done. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, obviously, given the title of the films, Bill is the main villain, the main antagonist, um, and Beatrix Uma Thurman is out to. Kill him. Fuck, I always forget her name is Beatrix. Beatrix Kiddo. Well, obviously in the first movie you wouldn't know because it's bleeps out. Yes, yeah, oh, fuck, I haven't watched these films in ages. <laughs> she she is merely known as the bride in the first movie. But yeah, we, we 
we come to learn her name is Beatrix Kiddo. And the reason she wants to kill Bill is obviously down to the fact that he shot her in her face at her wedding while she was pregnant, which is really a shitty thing to do. And I can kind of understand why she wanted retribution after that, especially when you've got Samuel Jackson playing at your wedding as well. Like, you know, that must have cost a few quid. Yeah, like, it's a question to answer another day, and I'd be interesting to see if anybody has an answer to it. But like you said, that that is a perfectly reasonable reason to want to kill a shitload of people and hunt for revenge. I wonder what film has, like, the smallest act that led to a revenge plot. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I I'm not sure that would that would take some digging. Yeah, because that that'd be a great idea, like a revenge thriller. But you, you don't know what it was, and it just turns out like they took the last bottle of Pepsi from a shop or something. Yeah, I like the just just the complete just kind of going over the edge. Like I guess Heisenbergy in the sense of like it was you know everything had been building and then that tips them over the edge. But it's something yeah. completely benign. Yeah. But yeah, so obviously we we know that Bill is a bad guy from the fact of all the, you know, the, the wedding shooting and what, you know, he, he really took shotgun wedding to its uh, hey! <laughs> to its full conclusion, didn't he? Well, not really. I think he shot it with a pistol. But... Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that, that's an evil laugh if taken out of context. <laughs> yes, clearly he's the bad guy, but... And we get a sense of, of, you know, his past. We know that him and Beatrix were, were romantically involved. And obviously he was the leader of the Deadly Viper assassination squad, um, which Beatrix was a part of. But what I'd like to see is like early years Bill, probably when he was referred to as William. Billy. <laughs> Billy the kid. So the idea of sort of a, a movie that explores, you know, getting to the top, with the Deadly Viper assassination squad, I think would be really interesting. So sort of, you know, he was reading into his backstory. He was orphaned. He was raised by someone who was like a gangster and a pimp. And obviously, you know, not, not the best start in life. And then from that, he went to sort of traveling the world and, and honing his craft as um as a warrior, essentially. So he, he trained with, Atari Hanzo and obviously got Atari Hanzo's sword. He trained with Pai Mei, who obviously trains um, Beatrix in the movies as well. So there's, you know, a lot of like that kind of you can you can envision that in like a sort of rocky montagey kind of kind of build up. And then you've obviously got the point where he then takes it from all of his training into building the Deadly Viper assassination squad, all of the different assassinations and jobs that they carry out. He also spent time, I think, pre... I'm going to refer to them as DVAS because it's quicker. Pre-DVAS, he worked for the Yakuza as a as an assassin and is implicated actually in killing Oronishi's parents. So that's a whole thing that could be... Um, Was there a spin-off? Like a prequel cartoon or something they announced they had with her? Or... No, that's in, like a comic, or no? It's in Kill Bill. In Kill Bill One, it, it cuts. Oh yeah, you know, I, I just I couldn't remember if they'd released backstory as another. Not medium. that I'm aware of, but that is very. I mean, that bit in Kill Bill is 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 so well done. I'll I'll come on to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's also the whole reason that Hatari Hanzo stopped making swords 
like because he'd trained Bill up and Bill had gone into a life of crime essentially rather than like an, being a noble warrior that's why Katarianzo hung up his sword making boots I'm assuming that's a yeah. thing and went for a career in a life of sushi his hammer and tongs yeah his an- anvil yeah all of ha- that but ha- hanging up an anvil requires uh, it's a lot of effort yeah yeah, probably not the best best storage. I would I'd maybe just put it on the side or tuck it under the bed. Yeah, yeah, but it's not as good a phrase, is it? It's, he because he didn't become a noble warrior, he decided to push his anvil underneath the bed. T- tuck away his anvil, maybe. That tuck sounds, away. That sounds Cover vaguely up. sexual. Um, <laughs> he was he was hammering away all night. Okay, thanks for that. <laughs> but yeah, so there's there's so much to explore there, I think, and then obviously. Post Yakuza, you've got all of the Deadly by Assassination Squad. You've got him meeting Beatrix and their sort of young fledgling relationship. I say young; he's about twice her age, I think. But I think, yeah, building up to, I think the movie would end with the massacre at El Paso. So there'd be a bit in the movie where Beatrix obviously dies because that's what he thought happened to her, and then yeah, the ending would be them kind of going into the going into the church and. I do think, coming back to what you were saying about the the Oronishi bit, obviously, I guess she's portrayed as a bit of a villain in the movie as well. And I think it's one of the best played out, like, mini origin stories I think I've ever seen in a film. Like, the way it cuts away to to the anime and it's got the narration and the animation style. It's just a thing of perfection. Like, it could, it could be its own standalone short film. Absolutely. Up, up until two days ago? I would have said that was my favourite bit of animated exposition in anything. And then Loki came out. Oh, I still haven't watched it. <laughs> it it's, there's like a, what can only be described as Fallout-esque cartoon about the origins of something. And it's just fucking amazing. Nice. It, it, it so perfectly matches the tone and is completely against the tone all at the same time. I like it. So you're saying that Loki is low-key groundbreaking. Exactly. Nice. And actually thinking about it, like I wouldn't even be mad if they did this origin story just in the, the anime style that they did for the for the Oronishi piece in the film. Like I think it could work really well. Obviously it gets around the fact of not having David Carradine around anymore. Yeah. Have you seen what they are doing an anime prequel to? Uh don't well, I have no. I don't know. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Oh, really? Yeah, they, it was announced, I think, yesterday. So it's called, like, War of the Rahiram. All right. Um, it's just like, well, that's not something I ever wanted, but also it's something I've never wanted more. Yeah, that, that could be really interesting. Yeah. And it's uh, Warner Brothers. So it okay. is basically coming out, I think, as, like, a direct response to Amazon's billion-dollar TV series. Yeah, because I was going to say, there's already a prequel to The Lord of the Rings. It's called The Hobbit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've just seen as well that, um, uh, I forget the name of the two actors, but Merry and Pippin are doing a podcast about, like a rewatch Lord of the Rings podcast thing. Oh, really? Yeah. If, if, you, if you had to do a rewatch podcast, what would it be on? Ooh. I said that, like, which of your many sitcoms you've starred in would you want to do a rewatch podcast I mean, on? I, I, do, I, mean? I do have an extensive extensive showreel of of credits i it's always sunny in philadelphia that's a good one i i am too too big a fan of the several nicholas cage podcasts we talk to regularly on social media so i wouldn't want to 
encroached on their territory. But hey, guys, if you want to bring me on, more than welcome to. <laughs> um, I think South Park, maybe. Yep. That that could be an interesting one to kind of deep dive into. Yeah, or do uh, do like just the news, but as if it's a TV show. <laughs> I mean, if you go back six months or so, it kind of was. Yeah. God, this fucking Boris guy. Yeah. Seems so unbelievable. I would have cast someone else. Season finale of um, of America with the storming of the Capitol just seems so over the top. I just ended on a cliffhanger, though, which wasn't a fan of. <laughs> um, and then they didn't resolve anything. I mean, fuck. Anyway, you were saying, who would you cast as Bill? And what would the title of this origin movie be? Oh, Because again, I, I, I was lucky in that Lena Headey can just immediately come back to star in peach trees but you, you don't have quite the even if david carradine was a, still alive i don't think you'd need you'd, yeah. i think you would still need to recast it yeah you wouldn't want to do like the, the like cgi to make him look 20 years yeah. younger would you oh uh just because you'll like it taron edgerton sold <laughs> what would i call it uh that's a tough one i guess probably just bill It'd either be Bill or like Killer Bill or something like that, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Can't have killed Bill. Or Bill Kills. Bill Kills? Oh, mate, yes. Yeah. I just think there's, there's, I mean, there's reading into sort of like the, the backstory that Tarantino's written for him, at least. Like, it just feels like there's a lot that could be explored, especially all of the, the Yakuza stuff and the, the training and the, you know, you know, being the reason the world's best sword, swordsmith. Is that what you call somebody who makes swords? I don't know. Yes. Sword maker. Swordsmith sounds correct. We'll go with it. Yeah. Force Swordster. Kind of, yeah. For your His actions causing the world's best swordsmith to hang up his anvil. I think that's that's a really intriguing thing to see as well. So Just need to make sure he lifts from the legs. Oh, yeah. You have Pi May doing his little laugh in the background. <laughs> and his, and one, of, one of cinema's best moustache sweeps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Bill Kills. Let's do it. This, this, from, from the outset sounds a little bit weird, but I just kind of need you to stay with me on this. Are you, are you along for the ride? Uh, I, yeah, always, Ian, always. Good, good. So, this is a tough one because it is the origin story of a villain who died at the ripe old age of just under four years old. And he died in... The distant future of November 2019, where flying cars were everywhere, the moon colonies were starting to get a bit pissy, and the world was all very strange. So I'm, of course, talking about N6MAA10816. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a little bit lost, like tears in the rain, Ian. Ah, oh, nice. So, yes, of course, this is... So, it is Roy Batty, played by uh, Rutger Hauer in Blade Runner. Uh, I was very close to picking him for our villains who may have had a point, uh, but instead I picked Benny just to piss you off. But, yeah, I, I think the origin story of the Roy Batty character is just... It lends itself so much to cinema that I'm surprised we haven't had it. So... Roy Batty is a replicant, so replicants are basically created uh, to do jobs and roles nobody wants to do. So Roy was a—it's weird calling him Roy, isn't it? Um, you, so use, use his um, uses 
his code name again. So N6MAA10816 was a combat model. So he basically fought in every war from his inception date, which was the distant future of 2016. <laughs> Fucking hell. I think Inception came out in 2010, Ian. Nice. I see what you did there, because Inception is also a name of a film. Uh, so he fought in uh, a load of battles for the Colonization Defense Program, and he was deployed off-world because, obviously, replicants were illegal on Earth. So it's mentioned in the film, but what we'd get to see in his origin story are, you know, we would get to see the attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. We would get to see the sea beams glittering near the Tannhauser Gate. It's It sounds cinematic, even if you have no idea what the fuck any of it means. And the fact that, you know, I might want to call this film What the Fuck Are Sea Beams? Because to me, a sea beam sounds like, kind of like a Robin Reliant style car. Yeah, either that or... Um... It, it's it's either a very, very fancy, like, oh, you know, Floyd Mayweather's got three sea beams. Or it's, uh, oh, yeah, little Timmy just bought us, we just bought him a first sea beam. <laughs> it's, he totaled it within three days. The kind of car you could accidentally pick up. Like that kind of shitty... Yeah, yeah. 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 Either that or something that's just structurally integral to the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> yeah, they're the keystone of the. Uh, they're the plug. Yeah, it's held together with sea beams. Oh, I think you, you get, might need it. Might need to replace a few of those sea beams. I think. Oh, you see, the problem is, Graham. These are load-bearing sea beams. <laughs> so, obviously, the whole kind of attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion, sea beams glittering in the dark near Tannhauser Gate, is from possibly the greatest monologue ever just ever i i, I rewatched it again yesterday and then today and it's still as good as the first time you watched it. it it's a lot of it so it's a weird one the director puts the onus entirely on rutger hauer for coming up with this monologue but rutger hauer basically says no i just i changed very little <laughs> which is uh i think kind of a testament to the guy really that it is one of the most iconic images in cinema, uh, like you kind of touched on the, all those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. Oh, God. But yeah, do you know, what, what's your favourite? It, it, it is one of my favourite movie scenes. Mm. What other ones do you kind of rewatch occasionally and marvel at how incredible they are? I mean, this makes me sound like an absolute dick, but the beginning of um, Lingoria's Bastards... Like, yeah, well, that I mean, it's basically a monologue, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it is one of the best scenes in cinema. I think I do really like the um, T Rex in the rain in the original Jurassic Park. Have you ever watched The Fisher King? I haven't. No. So it's a ter- uh, Terry Gilliam film with Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges, and there's a scene where they're lying in Central Park, and Robin Williams talks through the story of the fisher king and it's one of those it's really i'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on it it hits me for six every single time but i can't tell you why okay like it's a proper gut punch like emotional gut punch but i can't put into words why it would make me emotional interesting i'll have to i'll have to i'll have to give it a watch i think the um garlic scene in goodfellas as well is probably up there 
Yeah, I mean, I, I because it's me and we're talking about best scenes in cinema, the, uh, you know what I'm going to say about Goodfellas? The long single take. <laughs> yep. I'm not saying we would get that kind of cinema again from a Roy Batty origin story, but, you know, it's a shot in the dark we need to take. So, would his was his origin story not just be like the production line? <laughs> his origin story, kind of similar to uh, Marmar, is kind of covered briefly uh, through kind of dialogue and exposition in the film. So, replicants were they're designed to have a lifespan of four years. So, Roy Batty on an off-world planet led a group of replicants, Nexus Sixes, I believe the model he is. So he led a group of replicants. They killed 23 people in this colony, hijacked a shuttle and flew to Earth. And that's that. That's then where the plot of Blade Runner starts. So that is Harrison Ford's Blade Runner, which I said, like, it's his character's name. <laughs> <laughs> Hunting down these replicants. And it turns out they're just trying to find their creator to see if they can get more life and a bigger lifespan and kind of understand what they are. But the origin story would cover... So obviously you would have that. You would have them going rogue, fighting back and trying to escape this off-world colony. But then you would also get to have kind of a proper look into why this has happened. You know, the the events that led up to them asking the questions of like, well, why why is this happening to us? It's to go uh to go ultra wanky. Uh it would be a proper look into what it means to be human. Because Again, the, the the most human act in Blade Runner is right. Again, spoilers for a film that came out in the fucking eighties. The most human thing in that entire film is when Roy saves Deckard's life at the end of the film. He could have let him die. He could have let him fall to his death, but he chooses to save him, which is, you know, it's a it's a big deal, bro. But. There's a lot of very interesting things you could explore that Blade Runner didn't necessarily have the time or the need to. Again, because like ultimately it was it was Harrison Ford's story. You know, it, it's we're following them, and yeah, I think it would it would serve to add a it would add another it would explore the film deeper rather than kind of adding other things, um, because you wouldn't be retroactively changing anything. All of this is still canon that he they went rogue. The only question is what led up to that decision. And that's kind of where I think the the origin story would sit. And yeah, it would just, it, 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 there's so much there to kind of discuss and uncover. It's, um, it's a very rich world, isn't it? Like, I, I still don't know what Blade Runner 2049 was about. <laughs> like, I remember watching it and enjoying it, but also I couldn't tell you anything. I, really I loved it, but I'm not 100% sure I would. It was a beautiful film. It was very well done, but I, I'm i not it was, yeah. drawn to watch it again, which isn't a comment on the film. It's just, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? It, yeah. Oh, it's two, two and a half? Two hours, 44, yeah. But obviously conforms to our... Our much-held belief that Dave Bautista should be in every movie. Yeah, spo- spoilers for a future incredible performances from actors you wouldn't expect <laughs> list. But Dave Bautista's fucking amazing in it. It also, I mean, I was going to say strange comparison, but it's not because it's still got Harrison Ford in it. It does the bringing back old characters a lot better than the Star Wars 
trilogy did. Yeah, because it wasn't just fan service. It was very well done, and I also don't feel like the film was written just to bring Harrison Ford back. Kind of like what you said about sequels having to have a point. They clearly thought of a story that was worth telling and wrote the script for it, rather than someone approach them and go, you know what, let's get Harrison Ford back in Blade Runner. Have you seen the great photo of Harrison Ford accidentally punching Ryan Gosling in the face? Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> it's one of my it was one of my favorite behind the scenes photos. It's up there with Arnie, Andre the Giant, and um, basketball player. Is it Chamberlain? I don't know. I know the photo you mean, where Arnie looks tiny, basically. Yeah, it looks like they bought their son to work. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean. Not, not to be a hypocrite, given the answer questions I asked you, but we can't have Rutger Hauer in this. So it's a bit of a rehash, unfortunately, of a role he's played before. But I think Fassbender would be really good mm-hmm. as the, the Roy Batty character. I couldn't... It's the annoying thing of once I pictured him, I couldn't picture anyone else. I, I'm sure there's more interesting choices, maybe, given this is basically him doing robot again which is what he did in prometheus but i think it would work title i think we just go nexus not nexus 6 because you know people will think it's a sequel when it's not it's a prequel i just want to i just want to know what a fucking sea beam in a tannhauser gate is fight fight apart from being a great fight star song yeah (laughs) fight star are full of because they also have uh lost like tears in the rain which is a great song a load of their songs are about neon genesis evangelion oh really i didn't realize that yeah, like uh, what? Once you, I, I, what? I was a big fight star fan. I was watching Neon Genesis, and stuff came up. It's like, wait, that's uh, that's it to the point where fight star have a song called Shinji Akari. Okay, which is the main the main character from that. Yeah, and obviously they have um, Palinik's laughter as well, don't they? Which is um... yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not judging. I of the songs I have written, the vast majority are inspired by films and pop culture, and in one point. A friend of a friend who is an absolute piece of shit. I'll, uh, I'll take this offline. We'll circle back. Okay. Blue sky thinking, etc. And that brings us on to our Nexus choice. Way. Uh, so, from the distant future of 2019 to the distant past of the the age of Camelot and to the Round Table. Sorry. Exactly that, and um, yeah, I I, I, can't, I can't think of Camelot without thinking of that. <laughs> it is a very silly place. Yeah, we it's, it's only it's only a model. <laughs> we are going to Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and the villain that we are going to find their origin story is the most mysterious of villains in all of cinema, and that is the Black Knight. Uh, uh, fun fun fact: before you dive into this deeper, I forgot what your choice was. Yep. But as soon as you said Camelot, I immediately had to make a Monty Python. That's just how my brain works. That that wasn't like foreshadowing anything. It's just how my brain nice. operates. And that's why we're friends. Yeah, it was that or like a lottery reference. Do Camelot still do the lottery? Uh, I assume so. I don't know. I've I've, I've not been recently. Yeah. But uh, you can, it's actually, I think it's in Winchester. You can. They've got the um the round table is up on the wall of a. Something else that you wouldn't think you'd hang up, but they've hung up the round table and um... he hung up the round table. Yeah, yeah. You'd think you'd just leave the table out, right? Yeah. But no, they've put it on the wall. You hear Arthur's retired. He's hung up his round table. <laughs> I do- I don't know what voice that is. I've always done it whenever I'm just doing anyone's. I I've once done that voice copying myself. <laughs> 
what? Yep, fuck the podcast. Let's unpack this. But no, so King Arthur. <laughs> the therapy session nobody asked. Top three, top, top three things about Ian that don't make sense. <laughs> well, that would be just diving into your origin story, probably. Yeah. It was a cold <laughs> Thursday. <laughs> yeah, so the Black Knight is obviously, um, he faces off with Arthur. And I think probably even if you've never watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you've probably seen this scene or can quote it. So Arthur comes across the Black Knight. The Black Knight has just defeated the Green Knight. And then he asks him to join him on his quest to Camelot. And the Black Knight is having fucking none of it. Um, he refuses. A fight ensues. And we learn that the Black Knight is both the most stubborn human to have ever graced uh, Camelot. And also perhaps possesses some superhuman powers. And that is not because the Black Knight is particularly adept at fighting. Um, it is because that as Arthur proceeds to lop off each of the Black Knight's limbs, he refuses to relent in his, his fight, even to the point where he's just a head that is threatening to bite Arthur's ankles or his knees, one of the two. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, how on earth did such a such a being come to be i'm intrigued as to the uh the black knights you know where, where his um where his ability to uh i guess i guess he's kind of like wolverine but without like the stuff growing back like he can have it chopped off and it doesn't affect him but it's not coming back or it comes back really slowly which is a big omission from having the powers of wolverine really. <laughs> maybe he's it's I... maybe he's like a lizard and it, it just grows back slowly over time yeah, yeah, possibly I could see that. Or octopuses. So in my octopus teacher, which we spoke about, you know, the octopus regrows a, a limb. Um, so maybe under all of that, you know, night regalia, he is actually an octopus. Hmm. But we will not know until we watch the Black Knight origin story. So I want to see a full-on like Jon Snow style story arc from like bastard outcast child to world-class warrior known across the realms who is the black knight i want to understand where his relentless optimism comes from like at the end of the battle where he has no limbs left he still says to arthur should we call it a draw like <laughs> that's not flying anywhere but at least you know he had the he had the chutzpah to to try and um try and it's, get it's away mike, with mike, it. mike wozniak is changing your, how you talk <laughs> isn't he yeah and I'm okay with that. Chutzpah's a great word. Chutzpah is a word that should be used more frequently. Oh, God, yeah. I want to see how the Black Knight in his, you know, in his quest across the ages comes across, you know, witches and shamans who he strikes deals with to, you know, get his really shit abilities to lose limbs and not die. I want to know what the beef with the Green Knight was as well. Like, you know, what happened there? That, that, it feels like his story arc is building towards his fight with the Green Knight. He defeats him and then Arthur comes along and it all goes to shit. Could you, could you say great British actors? As in the sentence? Yeah, just say great British actors. Great British actors. So speaking of great <laughs> British actors, have you seen the trailer for the Green Knight? No. It looks fucking amazing. It's Dev Patel. Right. And it's a proper take on Arthurian legend, but it's embraced how... Because what people don't, especially now, when everybody's idea of King Arthur is sword in the stone, yeah, holy grail, that kind of thing, people forget how fucking batshit mental the actual Arthur stories are. 
and this seems to really be leaning into it. But watch watch the trailer. I'll put it in our YouTube playlist as well. I'm really looking forward to question, it. Question. Why did you ask me to say Great British Actors when you could have just said Talking of the Green Knight? Uh, because I wanted to just randomly crowbar in how great I think Dev Patel is. Okay, fair enough. Hugely underrated as a as a performer. And yeah, he's a lot more than just that guy from Skins, I think. But I'm getting a... I'm planning a uh, Arthur-themed tattoo. Nice. I'm assuming you mean Arthur from Camelot or not Arthur, the 90s Nickelodeon cartoon. Although that would be hilarious. No, so yeah, I'm, I'm getting I'm, I'm getting the... Um, the theme tune <laughs> in, in in script down my arm. Every day when you're walking down the street. Everybody that you meet. And then the little DW tattoo inside. But no, there's uh there's a story in the Mabinogian, which is like the earliest British prose, and they're all written in Welsh. Uh, and I've already got tattoos from it, because of course I do. But the story is Arthur and his knights chasing a wild boar, who I can't pronounce the name of. And obviously, I will. I will have to ask if one of the. Given I have a hidden source pan, I can get a hidden Holy Grail reference in there. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. Or at least, yeah, maybe a, a little killer rabbit. So the the tattoo guy I go to is uh, up in North Wales. Someone in the same studio has done a Celtic style killer rabbit tattoo. Um, I'll try and find it. He also recently did an aliens one. Oh, I think you showed me that one. Yeah, so it's a sacred knot tattoo in Clandudno. And it's, yeah, fucking amazing. Great bunch of lads. Anyway, Black Knight. Black Knight, yeah. So um, I want all of those things that I mentioned, and I want it to be done in the style of, of classic Monty Python. So, yeah, I don't know. Is that too much to ask? Maybe, considering two of them are dead and the others are enjoying their retirements. or Well, most of them enjoy their retirements. John Cleese is still paying a lot of alimony to a lot of different women. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it would just be, I think it would just be great. I think it's... It's just such an iconic scene in in throughout all of Monty Python, really. As I say, like if you've not if you've not seen the movie, you can probably still quote the scene. Like everyone, everyone has said at least once in their life, it's only a flesh wound after a after an act, some kind of accident or whatever. And yeah, just just think it'd be fun, really. So I I I I definitely agree. I think this could be a great film. I I I have an idea of the film which might differ from Go yours. On. It's one. It's animated, okay. Because I think Monty Python lends itself to animation, like full-on Gilliam animation, or possibly. I'm not sure if that might be too jarring for a feature-length film. Yeah, or maybe claymation. Done. Stop motion. <laughs> we're doing like a Coraline-style Black Knight. Yeah. But yeah, he. Uh, if we're doing animated, he's never takes his helmet off, even when he's like a kid. Just oh. always wearing the Black Knight helmet. Yeah, without a doubt. And maybe we could get the guy who like who's Lord Buckethead to play him. Yeah, fuck it, that works. Why not? Just means we also get to tag Lord Buckethead in some of our promos next week. So, you know, <laughs> just always thinking about that reach here. <laughs> yeah, if he does want to come onto the podcast, uh, be interviewed about stuff to absolutely not do anything about politics, it'll be great. Yeah, you know, we could talk about his you know top top three hand dryer placements because um, we know that's clearly yeah. high on his agenda. Top three films. Filmed in Uxbridge, but that's basically just people fighting to get Clockwork Orange in. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe just his top three buckets. Movie Lords, Movie Lords. See now, we're, now, now we're onto something. Mo- movie Lords is probably easier than Movie Buckets, to be fair. 
Probably, probably. But yeah, I like I, I like your take. I, I want I want this as a I want this as a stop motion claymation. I want to see, like I say, sort of from the the whole Jon Snow kind of arc movie finishing just as he defeats the Green Knight, and then you the the end credits. All you hear is the coconut shells coming together yeah. as Arthur is is coming over the hill. Nice, where it slowly becomes live action. Yeah. Yeah, just a blurry and, of the two, like that aha video. Yeah, and the title of this film. The title of this film is. Was it just the Black Knight? Yeah, I wish you'd have asked me. Uh, said that this was going to be a thing before we did the research, because doing it on the fly is not that easy. <laughs> not gonna lie, I came up with a great pun for my next choice, and I didn't put any thought into any of the other ones. <laughs> we'll just go with we'll just go with the the Black Knight because. That's easy, and my brain's fried after this week. Onwards to Camelot, or well, actually away from Camelot. So we are we are leaving Camelot, and we are going straight to the Cold War. So I'm going to talk you through the plot of my movie. Okay, the plot. That's, of, if that's good for you, your movie or the plot of the movie this is based on. So the plot of the the origin story. We'll okay, be cool. Okay, so it's set in Cold War era Germany. Right. Yep. Two brothers have been torn apart by the Berlin Wall. Sounds painful. Yeah, it was horrible. The older brother would have been 13 uh, and finds himself in East Berlin. And the younger brother is 10 and finds himself in West Berlin. The older brother goes on to become a colonel in the East German National People's Army, where he trains infiltration units. So those are people basically military spies kind of things they can perfect accents and things like that to pass off as other nationalities the younger brother is classically educated but ultimately becomes a big part of the volksfrei movement who are a radical west german terrorist organization um, where he ultimately gets expelled due to his overly violent and extreme means so you have one brother who is literally east german military and the other brother is Free Berlin terrorist. And it's just such like a fascinating dynamic. Like, how did the brothers become separated? It was the wall. Well, there we go. That's the point done. <laughs> Shit. But, but yeah, like, how did, was it an ideological thing? Was it uh, a parent's thing? You know, like, there's so many different... I like the idea of Cold War parent trap. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a future list. Films that should have been set during the Cold War. E.T. E.T. in the Cold War, but he lands in Berlin. And it is just him being experimented on for an hour and a half. That's um, fucking dark. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there, there's like... if Given that they were on such polar opposites of... Well, everything, really. Like, would they have come into conflict? Did they realise their brother was on the other side? Were they estranged? Did they meet up again? There's a lot of potential for a really, really interesting story. It reminds me a lot of... So have you heard of the film Brotherhood? No. So it's a Korean war movie. It was released in 2004, and a fifth of South Korea saw it in the cinema. Wow. So uh, South Korea has a population of 50 million, 11 million people saw it in the cinema. It's fucking mental. And it's basically about two brothers who find themselves on opposite sides of the the Civil War. Strongly recommend it. It, it. It's it's not a film a lot of people have thought about, but it's yeah, it's a beautiful piece of film. It's one of my favorite war films. 
And then most importantly, we will get to understand how one of these brothers went from uh, arguably, you know, having this big political stance in West Germany to, you know, going from terrorism to attempting to steal $640 million worth of bearer bonds from the vault of the Nakatomi Plaza, because we are talking about the Gruber brothers. So don't know why I went fucking X Factor narrator voice. I liked there. it. I liked it. Yeah, I, I, I make my decisions, Graham, and I fucking stick with them. So this is the origin story of the Grubers. Because I think a lot of people forget that we obviously have the, you know, Hans Gruber, arguably the most iconic movie villain ever. Alan Rickman's first major movie role, yep. which I think is fucking insanity. Empire have put him as their 17th best movie character of all time. And he was number four on their list of villains. And yeah, he's just a fucking incredible villain. But people don't seem to remember that... Simon Gruber, played by Jeremy Irons, was the bad guy in Die Hard with a Vengeance. And the whole idea was it was a similar, again, spoilers for a film that came out in 1995. The film is him getting revenge on John McClane, but it turns out he's not really. It's a cover for him nicking a shitload of gold. And I think it just works. Like, I, I, I think it is... So the, the plot I explained earlier is it's entirely canon. It, it, it's mentioned in their backstories, never really explored in anything. But there's definitely a story, like a very interesting story there. The Cold War splitting up a family, basically. Two people going in completely different, different directions. Yeah, I'm, I'm also intrigued as uh, maybe finding out why, why Hans Gruber has a real disdain for the Christmas period as well. Yeah, because fuck that guy. I struggled fictionally casting this, I'm not going to lie, because Alan Rickman was so iconic as Hans Gruber, it's nearly impossible to think of someone who could... Everyone that I would have cast as a younger Hans Gruber is now too old. <laughs> so George McKay is a very good up-and-coming British actor. Daniel Brühl, possibly. So Baron Zemo in uh, the MCU. Mm -hmm. He was also in a great film called... Goodbye, Lenin, which is set in, weirdly enough, set during the Cold War. His, his mum has a stroke or something and goes into a coma. While she's in a coma, the Berlin Wall comes down and Germany gets unified. And then when she wakes up, she's told, Daniel Brühl's character is told that she can't, another shock to the system could kill her. So they have to pretend they still live in East Germany and the USSR still. I think. Jesus. And it's so, it, it's really funny um, in a very is this funny kind of way. Yeah. Tell me your thoughts. What, what are you thinking? Would you watch my... Uh... I mean, anything for, for more Hans Gruber. I like the idea. It's it's kind of similar to the, um, I guess, the long-mooted Vega Brothers movie, right? Like having, I, I'll be honest, I completely forgot that there was a second Gruber brother. So um... exactly because I I love Die Hard three, like I I think it gets it gets lost in the mix because so many of the Die Hard films are shit. Yeah, which is a shame. But Die Hard three is legitimately a great film. Yeah, and Samuel uh, Samuel Jackson obviously is yeah, obviously. But yeah, I I'd um yeah I like the in in all of these. I mean, I guess it goes without saying, but for with with all of these scenarios, just like 
figuring out what were the little subtleties and triggers that ended up with the you know what resulted in Nakatomi Plaza essentially you know it's it's a it's a really interesting journey to take from um from Cold War Germany I'm also intrigued like what would you I know we've spoken about a lot with a lot of the other choices like where does the Gruber movie finish Gruber movie so um I I've now I've decided I I'm going George McKay for Hans Gruber yeah Robert Patterson for Simon Gruber. Okay. I think they're both great actors. It kind of works. You said George. Um, I'm just trying to look up these people. I, I accidentally typed in George McRae. Um, I don't know if you know who George McRae is, but give a quick Google and you'll laugh. M-C-C-R-A-E. Yeah, not him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you mean uh, George McRae, the American soul and disco singer, most famous for the 1974 hit Rock Your Baby. Exactly. Yeah, so not him. So I'm talking George McKay, star of 1917. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and then Robert Patterson, obviously, Twilight. Oh, God, that hurts. He's so much more than... Again, we've we've screamed from the rooftops about it repeatedly. Robert Patterson's a fucking incredible actor. I don't think he gets the respect he's deserved because he was in Twilight. Even though he wasn't bad in Twilight, there is a lot bad with Twilight, like a werewolf definitely wanting to fuck a baby just you know that's a thing that happens you i don't care if it's like oh it's like platonic imprinting it's not we know what's going on robert patterson is great in that film i was forced to watch them all graham i'll take your word for it (laughs) Uh, so the gruber films to make it cinematic you want the story to be a confrontation between the brothers and you know maybe simon's forced to deal with this terrorist finds out it's his brother, so lets him escape. And obviously the implication is he's then fucked off to America where, you know, he's leading kind of everything there. So it is going to be set entirely in Germany. It's going to be a look at, like I said, how you can have... It's kind of nature-nurture, really, isn't it? It's two brothers yeah. who are all complete polar opposites of the Cold War. I think that's a very interesting thing to look into. You should then be able to not necessarily explain, but understand kind of where these characters come from. We kind of touched on it in the intro. You don't, the point of this isn't to make Hans Gruber sympathetic, Simon sympathetic. It is just a deeper look into their relationship with each other and the world around them. And I think that's fine. I, I think a lot of people look at origin stories and think you kind of what you said with like you it's watch it it's like oh you're trying to make me sympathize with him it's like oh if you're sympathizing with them that's saying more about you unless they are actively trying to make you sympathize with them which is kind of a bit weird isn't it It can be yeah so everybody is obviously dying to ask given that i said the entire reason i've been naming uh asking for names of films is because i came up with a name for this uh robert patterson and george mckay will be starring in california gruber alice which nice. I maintain is an incredible pun. But maybe Gruber Alice, you know, go for the, the the German the German language pun there. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with that. It works. And, you know, similar era to a number of dead Kennedys. <laughs> yeah, I can't follow that. <laughs> that's yep, that's the well done, you ended this section. <laughs> Your final choice, then, from your your grassy knoll. <laughs> from my grassy knoll, we are travelling um, from Cold War Germany to, I would say, sixties, seventies London. 
East End of London. So we so we've gone from Mega City One yep. to seventies, eighties America. Yeah, I'd say so. To literally then Back to the Future of twenty nineteen. Yeah. Camelot. Yeah. Cold War Germany. Yep. We're, we're nice, nice little road trip. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. Why not? I'd do it. So yeah, East End of London. I'm anticipating based on age range, etc. Sort of yeah, sixties, seventies, East End London, and we are gonna find out what events led to the. Horrible cunt himself, Bricktop, or Mr. Pulford. He's no no first name either. So yeah, Pulford, Mr. Pulford, or, or Bricktop. Yeah, obviously Bricktop is the is the main um, antagonist in Snatch, and just I mean he's it's he's portrayed by Alan Ford, and is just so so well done. Some of some of the lines, the way he delivers some of his lines as well, and it is just brilliant. He's got the whole like. What you know what nemesis means, obviously. One of my favourite lines is when um, Jason Statham as Turkish offers him sugar in his tea. No, thank you, Turkish. Sweet enough. Which is my <laughs> terrible, terrible attempt at a, an East London accent, but you get the idea. But uh... That was awful. <laughs> Go on. Top it. I, I, I don't know the reading. I don't know the... So I'm, so I'm going to offer you sugar, and then you you say, your, your line is, no, thank you, Turkish. I'm sweet enough. So. All right, all right. Fire me up. Right. I'm good. You good? Good. You take sugar? No, thank you, Turkish. <laughs> I'm sweet enough. No, I can't, can't do it. I take it back. So fuck you, Ian. This is this this is this is why we do we talk about films rather than being in them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, obviously. So in in the movie, he is he is a name that instills fear into everyone in, in East London. Um, he's clearly doing very well from himself. He owns plenty of illegal betting rackets. He's the head of a bare knuckle boxing promotion. He has his fingers in many pies. He strikes fear into all the hearts of all who would cross him. So I think this falls into a very similar category as the the mama and the bill examples and it's a real exploration of you know how he went from what i assume was a a mild-mannered little tyke in east london to the uh mobster that he is that we find him in um in snatch one of the key scenes one of the things that i really want to see in in this sort of if coming of age movie is the right way of putting it, but <laughs> it's coming of age in a, in a certain. So it's going to be a John Hughes Brits up movie. Yeah, <laughs> I would watch the shit out. Of that. <laughs> um, we'll get we'll get a young John Cusack in. Yeah, brick brick tops brick tops day off the brick top club. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, just we'll just go full say anything. Just like him holding like a boombox <laughs> on his head, but he's playing like Chaz and Dave. <laughs> Rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. Yeah, but um, the one scene that we have to see is the how Bricktop discovered that the best way to dispose of a body is to starve pigs for four days before um, before chopping up a body and, and feeding it to them. I want to know. I want to know how he found that out. Uh, not too. Uh... I'm fairly sure it's common knowledge. <laughs> I don't like saying that because have you ever done? Yeah, I mean, this is the perfect example of it. Is I've always felt that's just something people know. But when you mention it and people don't know it, there are questions. But do they know it because of Snatch? Um, I don't know. I learn everything from film. <laughs> it was in it was in Hannibal. Uh, there, there's. I'm going to tell you something that I know, and I have brought up in conversations before, and have nearly had to leave. Go on. 
Cool. So, when you're doing the whole autoerotic asphyxiation thing, <laughs> you're supposed to have a um, like a slice of lemon in your mouth. Because if you do feel like you're, you know, close to the end, but in the wrong sense of the word, uh, you bite down on the lemon and the citric acid can give you enough of a boost that you can um, start, for want of a better word, pulling things off. So I said that to someone as if it was just things people knew and they just all kind of stared at me and was like, what? How did he find that out? And the honest answer is, I think my dad told me. I have always, I have always wondered um, why there's a lot of citrus fruits in your fridge here. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you know, needs must. It's safer, safer to have it there and not need it than need it and not have any. It feels like it might be a bit of a distraction, though. Uh, maybe, but, you know. Um, so, yeah, bricked up. But, yeah, I mean, I just think there's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot, again, like, the kind of rising up through the ranks in the, the East London gangster scene. It just feels like there's, there's endless opportunities, really understanding how Bricktop got to, the, got to the top of his game. And also, if that doesn't sell you, then maybe we need to do the Snatch Wars origin. You've seen the Snatch Wars video where yes. it's Brick, yeah. Bricktop dubbed over Darth Vader. So if we don't go proper... East London Bricktop, you know, seeing him go through getting his way to the top. Maybe we just do episode one to three and instead of Anakin, it's Bricktop. Yeah, I'd watch the shit out of that. What I really like, I, I was literally just Googling it to see if the timelines would cross, is there's definitely chance for like the craze appearing in a Bricktop origin story, isn't there? Yes. If you're, if you're going proper London gangster uh, prequels. Yeah, definitely. However, that would... Put a little bit of a spanner in the works of my casting because I was going to say Tom Hardy. <laughs> I mean, we can. I mean, Tom Hardy doesn't have to play the craze, but he already has. And so is Martin Kemp. <laughs> True. Or maybe he just plays all three. He plays both yeah, both craze and Bricktop. Yeah, no, Tom Tom Hardy would be a great choice for for that. Do you know what it's Alan Ford, right? Yeah. Do you know what he has been in, where he has basically played Bricktop? Uh oh, it's I forget the name of it. I saw it when I was reading up on it, but it's a lot of people confuse quotes from him in that with um Snatch, right? You, you are not thinking of what I'm thinking. Oh, okay. He he plays a specialist in homeopathy in Toast of London. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he is he is basically just bricked up, but doing homeopathy amazing but yeah i think a lot of people get him mixed up in other films because he only ever really is in films like this yeah where he plays this type of thing but if you find your niche you stick with it it's what we're doing well exactly i mean and he does it very well right like bricktop is such a good character so yeah that's it bricktop bricktop rising through the ranks getting to the top of the east london gang scene and yeah growing up on his little pig farm uh, and and the title of this masterpiece follow the yellow brick top road no that's terrible um <laughs> another another brick in the wall nice i like that yeah we can we can get pink floyd on to do the soundtrack we'll just call it feeding pigs yeah brick lane maybe that's it east london fuck it okay. that's our choices then what's your top three out of yours my top three from mine is third place we're gonna go with the black knight which actually we should have just called the dark knight and just really confused batman fans i think it would be a lot of fun but i think there's more substance to the other two second place bricktop um again 
I really like this this general the general understanding of this rise to the top, but I think that is going to be done better with with a Bill Kills origin story because I mean there's there's so much to it. There's all of the Tari Hanzo stuff. There's all of the Jaime stuff. There's the Yakuza stuff. There's setting up the Deadly Viper Assassin Squad, and then obviously the culmination of um, the massacre at El Paso. So yeah, Bill Bill takes it for me. Nice. Out of my ones, uh, I think California Gruber Alice is going to come in third, just because I really like the story, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a Gruber origin story. This is just a film that could happen. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's not as integral to be uh, kind of a prequel, um, and ultimately, when you watch... D- Die Hard's a great example of a self-contained film. You don't necessarily need... The added detail, um, regardless of how great the film could be. Or seven sequels or whatever right now. Five? five, yeah. Six. Five or six. Enough. Enough, yeah. Uh, Number two, I think I would go Roy Batty. So in Nexus, uh, just because I think there is a lot to explain. So for for me, uh, Roy Batty and Marmar's very close. The only reason I've given... Well, I'll come on to why Marmar's got the edge. Uh, Roy Batty, I think, is, is an incredible look into the human condition and what that means. Um, I think he's a character who, you know, the world could do with seeing again. And then Marmar, the main reason I've given it the edge is because we need more 2008 films. I still can't quite believe we haven't yeah. had that many. And I put the blame entirely on Sylvester Stallone. So, you know, did do Rocky, though. So. We'll cut with some slack. Just a little smidge. Joint top threes, then. What what, what are you saying, bro? I am saying I'm going Bill Kills, then I'm going Peach Trees, and then I'm going Nexus. The reason Nexus above anything Bricktop is that I just think, A, the, the Bill origin story and the um, Mama origin story are kind of similar in the sense it's kind of like how they took over how they raised up the ranks and i think yeah bricktop would just be more of the same there and i do think with with the blade runner stuff there's just there's such a universe to explore and i really like the idea of similar to like understanding more about the machines uprising in the matrix trilogy which would yeah. have been a much better thing to do than what they did with the sequels that's a really interesting piece to explore right the whole becoming self-aware what that means for you know it, even similar to what we spoke about with San Junipero right like what is reality if 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 a if a robot or an AI is experiencing something does that just because they're artificial is that any less important than what we experience yeah and yeah yeah there's so much you can go through there so yeah that would be my my top three yeah I can't really complain about that it's pretty much what mine would be the the if if we were doing this two years ago, which would have been weird because we didn't have a podcast then, I might have lent a bit more towards Bricktop just because uh that's the kind of film Guy Ritchie needed to go back to. Yeah. But he now has. So I feel like we're okay. <laughs> he does he doesn't need the extra push that a hypothetical appearance on a list he wouldn't know about uh may have had oh, on. I'm him. sure he listens. Oh definitely. Big, big, big fan. Oh, guy what a guy we're on a first name basis us yeah never was a madonna fan Uh, so right so just really random here i have like extreme 
anxiety flashbacks to Madonna. Madonna did Madonna do Holiday, or was that Kylie Minogue? One of them did. It was Madonna, right? So in, I want to say like year four, we had an assembly in year four where we had to do some kind of like dance to Holiday by Madonna. And the whole thing was, which is really weird for a bunch of primary school kids, was that you kind of went from your school uniform into holiday clothes on stage in an assembly. (laughs) And I'm still not okay with any of that. I'm fairly sure, I'm almost certain that I uh, made sure I was off sick that day. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So... You you basically had year fours yeah. to holiday just changed clothes on stage. That's as I recall it. I'm not I'm not for legal reasons, I'm not gonna implicate any teachers in anything that maybe it wasn't as I recalled. But I remember feeling very uncomfortable and I never want you know. So also yeah, fuck Madonna. Well you you heard it here first. <laughs> we we had uh I, I remember a leaving assembly uh in Primary school, and I think the year sixes danced to Lady Marmalade. That is wholly inappropriate. <laughs> yep. But, but it was inappropriate in French. And no one spoke French. <laughs> so I feel like, maybe, you know, yeah, fuck me. Okay. That's awkward. We kind of nailed the top three really quickly. Yeah. Should we just talk about Madonna more? Yeah. Do, do you, should we have an argument about something? We, we normally have to have a bit of a back and forth here. Benny's a cunt, isn't he? He was just trying to get his fucking rent paid, man. <laughs> I think that's fine. What's happening with the... Because there, there was never a prequel discussed, but they were talking of doing a sequel to Kill Bill, right? There was... Yeah, so it was always going to be... Uh, the someone, the person's daughter. Vivica A. Fox's daughter yeah. seeking revenge on Beatrix. Because yeah. she obviously sees her killer in the kitchen. Mm. Yeah, it's. I think it's one of those sort of like long-lost Tarantino films similar to the Vega Brothers... He's probably knowing Tarantino. He's probably got a script for it. Whether or not he's he'll he, he, he'll retire and then come back and make it. Yeah. Well, he's he's spoken a lot about uh, turning to novels after he retires from filmmaking. So it, maybe it'll be hmm. something that he does there. I don't know is the honest answer, but I think it's one. Of, I don't think it's going to be the tenth movie. Um, I don't know what the tenth movie is going to be, but um, I'd be very surprised if he did go for Kill Bill three. But you never know. Yeah. Who knows? Okay. So. The podcast nobody asked for was top three villain origin stories we would watch. Number three, we have uh, Roy Batty from Blade Runner. Number two, we have Mama from Dread. And number one, we have Bill from Kill Bill. So if you agree with us, or if you have other origin stories you would want to watch, you can find us on Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for. You can also find us on ko-fi.com at the podcast nobody asked for, uh, where you can buy us a coffee. And all of that money goes to buying coffees, uh, but also making the podcast bigger, better, more awesome, and all of that jazz. If you want to, if, if you missed the arguing in the top three this week and maybe just want to argue with us on, on Twitter about something completely benign, do so and find us at nobody asked for pod with the number four. You can also find us on the same place. On the same place, at the same address on Facebook. 
And remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. And in your review, put any episode ideas you may have. And we'll make sure we do the best ones. And we do, because our next episode is going to be one that came from a very lovely review we got a couple of weeks ago. Our, our next next Our one. next next one. That's what I meant. And what, I mean, this has definitely... Bill being number one has also uh, inspired me to start thinking about the most anticlimactic showdowns in movie history. <laughs> so uh, I'm go- I'm gonna go and start thinking about that. Maybe start working on my own origin story uh, mythos just to make me a little bit more interesting. Okay, I'm glad you said mythos there because working your own origin story would kind of necessitate you going back to you being born. <laughs> yeah, I'll get I'll get I'll just. Yeah, no, that's not too much. No one asked for this.